Welcome to the family with Confucius Catherine. Whoops. Oh, here we uh, go. He's gone for I two weeks. He forgets how to I do it. This up every time. Uh, disaster, Tevin Pittman. <laughs> Confucius Catherine. Confucius. And Annie Brett Bernard. <laughs> How about I quit, Tom? How about that? Yes. Don't you want to know my Confucius quote? Yes. We'll be right back with Catherine's Confucius quote with the family. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean. Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, We're just trying to represent people who have been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know, And that's exactly my question is you have to understand who has the best your best interest in mind correct well you want to know what your rights are you know whether or not you decide you're going to hire us or not that's a choice it's a free consultation and you want to understand what your all your rights are and what coverages you have and plus the fact i hang out with you so you got to be a good guy (laughs) if i'm hanging out with you Uh, maybe (laughs) (laughs) okay ladies and gentlemen michael bryant bradshaw and bryant walls automotive group walls.com and doug sprinthal Nissan news. This is exciting, and I'm glad Andy's here. We just got our first shipments at Coon Rapids Nissan and Burnsville Nissan of the all-new 2021 Nissan Rogue. Dude, you need to trade. This is a brand-new vehicle. It's got bird's-eye parking. So when you're backing up, you hit the screen, and it's like a spy satellite above oh. the vehicle. It is, And it's got ProPilot. It is cool. Trade your car in. Well, Melissa said she did like this one better than the last one, so maybe she'll like the next one better than this one. All right. Be like Andy and Melissa and check out the Nissan Rogue. It's been a dream of mine to be like Andy ever since he was born. <laughs> so, yeah, check out these vehicles at Walzer Nissan in Burnsville and in Coon Rapids, House of J-Lo and the House of Dan Resch. Tell them Andy sent you. Walzer Automotive Group, walzer.com. Hey. Ready for my quote? Yep, we have a, Catherine has a phenomenal, what, a Confucius quote? Is that it? Yep, quote by Confucius. Okay, here we go. A small man. No, I don't remember it. <laughs> this is my life right here. That was a really bad quote. Right there on, on worldwide audio. I had. And then I started thinking about other stuff. Worldwide <laughs> audio. They just heard my uh, life. Confucius once said, uh, a small man. I've got yes. That's the quote. I've got Wait, photographs with what aliens the heck was in it? them. Uh, yes. A small man must tear down others. Of, no. Oh, that's it. That's it. A big man is hard on himself. A small man is hard on others. That's oh. it. Oh, Confucius had it all dialed I, in. Was yes, Confucius don't you a think? big man and it should be small per- man? Right. It should be person. Yeah. It should be person. I mean, let's get with the times. Yeah, come but on. Get with the times. But Confucius lived when? 
Yeah, he was like uh, well over a thousand years ago. Yeah, yeah. fifty yeah. Uh, so. about five hundred BC yeah. was his prime. Yeah. But the rights so. for women back then were a little <laughs> bit different. No, so I don't think there day. were right. any. In five hundred BC, I don't think anyone had the right to do anything but starve and die. Have you seen the clips yeah. from the Bonds mo- Bond movies? The original Bond movies. Uh-huh. At one point, he takes this woman who's blonde, and he's like, "Oh, the men need to talk now," and he hits her on the butt and pushes her out of the way. It's like, <laughs> oh my wow. God. Oh my, oh my God! What were we watching? Where they, the, the guy was slapping women? Yeah, and was it the was. What the heck was that? I think it was a television show. It, it might have been. I don't and know. And we were just like, "What the hell?" <laughs> you know, yeah. Slapping women around in a bunch, swatting money ass. Now you're talking. No wonder you're a little Perfect. off, considering <laughs> what we watched as kids. You know? Yeah. What the hell is wrong with it? Oh, by the way, Tevin, I knew. Thanks a lot for what you did to, to Disney. That's really great. Oh, what did, what <sighs> what did my people do now? Well, now I we under, had come to the understanding that the Muppets are racist. The Muppets are racist. racist. Why? Are there any black oh, Muppets? You, there aren't any. Not that I know. Any white Muppets? It's like frogs and stuff. So yeah. It's mostly frogs and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Well, the, the the two old guys up in the the, yeah, the cranky guys, those are both white guys. Oh yeah. Oh, I yeah. guess that's so. That's true. Yeah, but they don't go after Tevin. You know what the hell? <laughs> they just say how rotten the show is. I think there's like, inner tapes of those two that I gotta oh, believe probably. they go after lots of people. All right, I got the uh, I got the story right here for you. Okay. From the Michael Bryant News Network, also known as CNN. <laughs> CNN, <laughs> my boys. Disney Plus is warning viewers that some episodes of the Muppet Show feature negative depictions and mistreatment of people or cultures. The variety show, which ran for 120 episodes in the 1970s and features puppet characters interacting with celebrity guests, was added to Disney's streaming service last week. Viewers are being shown that warning label before each episode. It says the show indicates negative depictions and or treat, uh, mistreatment of people or cultures. These stereotypes were wrong then, they're wrong now. An episode hosted by Johnny Cash, in which the country star performs in front of the U.S. flag and the Confederate flag, was among the installments oh. flagged by the service. Yeah. Well, that was well, 50 years yeah, ago. Yeah, 50 right, years ago. But they're Could playing it now, and so people are seeing it now oh, and saying, Christ. well, you know. Yeah, and I think, I, it, I think it's one of those things, too, where... They have to say something because otherwise they're going to get backlash. Yeah. Like they can say, "Hey, we have these old episodes well, that your grandparents used to watch." I bet watch. you Ben Why Vereen just did edit some soft shoe in there that, that <laughs> might today be a little off. Why not know? just Why not just edit that stuff out? Yeah, why not? Because they yeah. probably you know, didn't want to take the time and didn't. Yeah, people time don't money. think about it, you know. It's better wonder, than bad press. Well, and I wonder how uh-huh. much like money they make off of putting the Muppets, like the early ones, on TV. Mm-hmm. Like, is anybody really asking to see yeah. the Muppets? Yeah. No, that's Apparently somebody is. <laughs> right. And they're like, wait, wow. what? I, I think the Swedish chef is terribly racist. Oh, racist as hell. In the pot. Hilarious. I like the fact Miss Piggy is tougher than anybody else on the show. She can beat the hell out of anybody. I love oh, that yeah, about that's her. That's true. Works for me, but uh, you know, I, I just I've always loved the uh, Muppets, so it's kind of put me in a black mood for today. And you know, why is it gonna be a black I, mood? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I God, I <laughs> love just playing. Right. You know where I got that from? Actually, well, uh, like it? a 1970 Beetle Bailey cartoon where the young black sergeant comes in to talk to the captain. And he said he's having a rough day and blah blah blah. And he goes, "Oh, don't worry about that stuff. It's gonna be a problem." I just really wish you wouldn't be in such a black mood. 
<laughs> it came from a Beetle Bailey cartoon. <laughs> the whole point of it 50 years ago was stop judging people by their skin color. And that was 50 years ago. So what does that tell you? People don't change. People don't change. It takes them a while to catch on, apparently. Right. Yeah. It just takes them a little while to catch on with the deal. You know what I'm saying. Um, so Michael Bryant. Yes. We're getting ever, 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 ever closer to the Chauvin trial. Mm-hmm. Uh, should I buy a bunker or what should I do? Yeah, really. I'm seriously thinking about buying a shotgun to defend my house with. Honestly, <laughs> you're not far off from yeah. needing to do that. Yeah. I, I I think the jury will find him guilty. Um, yeah, you know, I, based upon the evidence, and I don't know that people are going to react badly to that. You know, who knows? Maybe yeah. after what, what happened in the it? Capitol, we may have a new group of rioters out right. there. <laughs> well, <laughs> the problem is, is all you need is a little false information going yep. out on That's Facebook. The problem. It's true. You oh, know, but if you watch the trial, there won't be. But people no, don't. Gonna Plus, there's going to be amazing an- analysts during the trial telling people oh, what's yeah. going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're you're going to learn that a lot of your friends have law degrees that just aren't actively pa- practicing law. That's true. Yeah. That's right. I just worry about the, the you know, the stuff that's going to go out on social media. Yeah, they acquitted yeah. him. You know, it's going to be, I mean, there's going to be stuff going mm-hmm. out, and people believe it. Mm-hmm. Well, and because even, like, there's things that happen in trial that are, like, standard for every trial mm-hmm. to happen. That might sound like it's going in a negative direction, but it's like, oh, no, that's right. just part of what goes on because you, we don't know that as a general public. Then that's how a lot of it spreads. But that thing as know, well as. Everybody- oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Well, when everybody's emotions run so high, they mm. don't listen and they don't reason. They just are, you know, emotional reactive. Yeah, we have to be quick so to it doesn't. React. Yes. Well, so. it looks like we're going to get the trial in March, so it won't be in the summer. <sighs> and um, Ooh, that's good. You that's know, good. so we'll see what impact that has, and um, and and hopefully, I mean, I I just hope the legislature can figure out what they're doing as far as security goes, so that we stop with that stupid fight um, about right. uh, you know whether there, sh- there should be security, there should be increased security, and oh, people should be on alert, and they. They've been pretty good about knowing threats that are coming. Um, it's just whether or not they do anything about it is the question. That well, sounds like the, the government all the well, way around. Yeah. <laughs> That's the pretty much whole true. disputes going on in D.C. right now is whether or not people knew there was a bigger threat than what actually they let on or uh, allowed to be supported exactly. with enough protection. Bigger threat on what? On the Capitol. That there, that, that there were, there's pretty clear signs that there was a lot of planning going on uh, in advance uh, that they, that a number of people knew about, um, and for whatever reason, people sat on it, and for whatever reason, they've tried to, uh, you know, one of the things was they tried to say that Pelosi was slow in responding, and she responded right away. Um, Mitch was, as usual, slow um, in his usual ways, um, and uh, we'll see. You know, as they get deeper into this investigation. God, you are totally sold into that stuff, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Honest to God. The Sounds liberals are great. The conservatives no, I, aren't. I don't think I ever say that the liberals are great. I don't know. That's exactly There's certain people that I respect, and there's certain people I think do a better job than, than, than other people out there uh, or people disagree with me on, but I don't know that I ever 
uh, say liberals are great or conservatives are horrible. I just look God. at it. And he's also such an attorney. He's a great attorney. just said he's a lot of words without again. saying a lot of words. No, I said what I believe. I try to call it like I see it. You know? I, I, I have that. a slant a I, I don't disagree with. I, I grew up in a certain way and have certain beliefs. I mean, I'll never like yeah. the Yankees no matter what. Right. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Okay, so the last question before we move on from that. I still don't understand why it was a riot at the Capitol, but a protest everywhere else. Oh, there were there I were still riots that, that took place when they were they were going into All stores in, in Minneapolis. I don't mm, think there's absolutely. when they went into Target. I don't think anybody called that a protest. No. So, oh yes, they did. No, they did. The, the, actually, when well, they yes, were in they Target, did. I yeah. don't think that. No, I don't agree. I think for the most part, yeah, people would try to use. It the other way around, where they would look at the peaceful protests and try to call those rioting as in, like, as part of the burning buildings down and things like that. But I don't think I really heard anybody try and say, oh, yeah, they were protesting inside Target at midnight, taking yeah. TVs out. Yeah. They I mean, said mostly peaceful protests. That's exactly well, what they the, said. There's right. a very f- famous piece of footage where the guy was saying about the the reporter was talking about mostly peaceful protests and the city was burning behind him. The guy in the, <laughs> you don't remember right. that? The guy that I, I totally agree and that was wrong. Mm-hmm. But the question is whether or not they called Yay, right. he said it was wrong. Well, I, I, <laughs> I don't know that anybody ever called the, the rioting inside Target uh, as peaceful protests. I mean, yeah. a, a peaceful protest was what happened on 35W, and it actually stayed peaceful even when the truck drove in the middle yeah. of it. I mean, it's amazing how peaceful that ended up being, and I that guy's not I thought they pulled dead. him out of the truck and yeah, they, feed oh, him they up. Definitely, they definitely pulled him out. But there was, there was like peaceful. the so like uh, PJ Hill, who was like the leader that was out there, um, like as they were pulling him out of the truck, was like, "Hey, like leave him alone." Like yep. he didn't. They like, I, like this don't, is kill, do don't kill him. And yeah, the so like yeah. they definitely like held back. Tried. And then when the police showed up, like you know, PJ was out on like the, uh, the what would be the north side of 35W, like communicating with police. And they were like, "Okay, we just got to get everybody off the street into safety." And right. so it definitely did stay a lot more peaceful. Than I mean, I watched that thing been. live. And that looked as close to a terrorist attack as you go. Oh, a, yeah. tru- a tanker truck in the middle of the crowd. I mean, Absolutely. that looked like it was set up to be shot if, and blow up everybody. Yeah, you like, know. Whatever remember, happened with that? Well, apparently with he's facing charges, and I there's much more to that underlying story. Than, yeah. Because originally it looked like you know, oh well, he's just confused, and then they went further with charges, and I it'll be interesting to follow that because. Uh, there's it's, there's deeper story to that. Yeah, and they have messages really? that are supposedly from his phone where it was saying, like, hey, we're going to take care of your family. Like, nobody else wants to do this route. Like, good luck type of thing. And it's so it definitely weird. all felt a little suspicious. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. We got to take a break because we have a special guest coming up next. Charlotte, uh, how would you say that, Andy? Bismuth? Bismuth. Bismuth. It's Bismuth, okay. It's the active Charlotte ingredient Bismuth. in uh, Pepto-Bismol. Yes, it's a good question. Probably shouldn't leave. Probably shouldn't leave. Charlotte Pepto. Charlotte Pepto. Well, she's talking about medicine, so. Okay, I guess that makes sense. And she is? Oh, and she knows. So it's bismuth? Bismuth. Yeah. Bismuth, okay. We'll be right back. Charlotte will join us right after this with the family. Tom Bernard here with my buddy and CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski. Great to have you here, Michael. Always great to be with you, Tommy. 
Michael, we've talked before about the XCheck app at North American Banking Company, where you can send money to your friends and family directly from your account to theirs for free. I imagine people are using it a lot these days, huh? Beyond paying a friend back for the dinner you split or paying fantasy football or golf side action, we've heard from our customers that they're using XCheck to send money to their grown-up kids for a family takeout meal or using it to pay the person that plows their driveway in the winter. Our customers love the flexibility of paying right from their account in just a couple of taps on their phone wherever they are located. I use XCheck, and it's just as easy as Michael says. Send money in one business day or less, and it's completely free. Get XCheck by contacting any of North American Banking Company's five Twin Cities locations. So why not bank with my banker? That's you, Mike. Tommy, thanks for the privilege. North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. As you know, my friend Mike Lindell has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of your life. He didn't stop by simply creating the best pillow. Mike created the new Giza Dream Sheets. They look and feel great, which means an even better night's sleep for me which is crucial for my busy schedule. Mike found the world's best cotton called Giza. It's ultra soft and breathable, but extremely durable. Mike's Giza sheets come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. The first night you sleep on the Giza sheets, you will never want to sleep on anything else. Giza Dream Sheets come in a variety of sizes and colors. Mike is making a special offer for my listeners. You buy one set, get another set absolutely free. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the Radio Listener Square, and use promo code TOM, T-O-M. There you'll find not only this amazing offer, but also deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow towel sets, and so much more. Call 1-800-516-5146, use promo code TOM, or go to MyPillow.com. Make sure you use the promo code TOM. We're back, ladies and gentlemen. What do you think of that action? Sure are. Charlotte Bismuth. Is Charlotte with us? Yep. Charlotte, how are you? I'm well. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Bad medicine catching New York's deadliest pill pusher. Charlotte Bismuth gives us a bold and cinematic true crime story about her work at the intersection of medicine and greed. Bad medicine is a gripping memoir that toggles deftly between the personal and the prosecutorial. Uh, this Stan Lee, Dr. Stan Lee, at 2000, that was 11 years ago already. That's amazing. The case uh, ended in 2014, and, you know, it, it is a story from New York. It's a story from 2014, but it's a story that has affected every neighborhood in the U.S. and that is still raging on today because it's the story of the opioid epidemic. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's been so much pain, so much greed, and still so little justice. So that's why we're telling it now. Yeah, I understand. In 2010, a brave whistleblower alerted the police to Dr. Stan Lee's corrupt pain management clinic in Queens, New York. Lee spent years supplying more than 70 patients a day with oxycodone and Xanax, trading prescriptions for cash. Emergency room doctors, psychiatrists, and desperate family members warned him that his patients were at risk of death, but he would not stop. How 70 patients a day with oxycodone and Xanax, his profit margin must have been huge. It was huge. Uh, the 70 was the average. There were days when he saw 100 or more, and he didn't take appointments, just numbered tickets that were given out. He charged either $100 or 150 in cash, depending on how many pills you wanted. So he brought home nearly half a million dollars in just two and a half years, and that was just the cash that we were able to trace. Wow. 
Oh, so there's a lot of other cash oh. you probably couldn't even find, I'm Definitely. sure. Exactly. What a story. Is there any tally on how people, how many people might have died from his evil doing? Unfortunately, we uncovered 16 overdose deaths among his patient Ooh. population, uh, but those were the patients that we could trace back. Those were the ones who had received prescriptions from him, and we knew that there were patients selling their prescriptions outside the office, sharing their pills with friends and family members. So, oh, you know, I'd, yeah. I'd, be, I'd be terrified to know, frankly. But um, if you multiply this practice by all the other corrupt doctors, unfortunately, that operated, that's how we start understanding the death toll that our nation has suffered. God, it's so amazing, Charlotte, because just a couple of weeks ago, we had a case here in Minnesota, Buffalo, Minnesota, where a guy... Yep. Uh, got very angry at the clinic and his doctor because his doctor wouldn't give him another month's worth of, I believe it was oxycodone. He had get had just uh, given him uh, his last month's prescription for oxycodone, and he did the entire month's supply in eleven days. Jeez. And they're in right. Here comes the problem: eleven days to do thirty days worth of oxycodone. He ended up uh, killing a woman. Unfortunately, killed a, a, a female nurse at the at the clinic. Shot two other people, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really tragic. The, you know, there's the tragedy of people who have legitimate chronic pain conditions yep. who may be having a lot of trouble uh, receiving appropriate treatment now. There's the tragedy of doctors putting patients on medications and not knowing how to take them off or how to help them when it goes wrong. And in oh. our case, too, there was a horrific incident like that. One of Dr. Lee's patients became so addicted that he robbed a pharmacy, killing four innocent people in the process uh, and making off with 11,000 hydrocodone pills. That oh. happened while we were preparing a grand jury presentation, and I have to tell you, it, uh, you know, still to this day is something that I have a lot of trouble digesting and living with. What, what happened with him as far as, uh, like, what, once he was in the criminal system, what happened to him as a result? He ended up pleading guilty, and he is serving life in prison. Yeah. Wow. Oh, do you mean the the young man who the young man who did that? Yeah. Yes. Correct. Yes. He's he's uh he's serving life in prison. Hmm. Unbelievable story. What? No, Charlotte, has the world always been this way? Maybe it's just because of the COVID situation and all the rest of it that I've been noticing. Boy, money over everything and anything money means so much to people uh, now he had to know he was going to kill some people by this dr stan lee he knew some people were going to die by him selling off all these drugs under the table it didn't even cons- didn't even consider it didn't even think about it sounds like to me well unfortunately i think he was aware i mean i know he was aware because we proved that he had sure. received warnings from emergency room doctors Uh, critical care doctors from family members who begged him to stop prescribing, who told him that their loved ones were overdosing, were being found unconscious at Mm. home. And he kept going. And I I think you're right. The greed uh, made him disregard, consciously disregard those risks. And it, it is it's an unspeakable tragedy. And it's happening on a much larger scale with pharmaceutical companies. And we're you know, one of the reasons why I wrote the book was I was seeing Purdue Pharma um, go off into bankruptcy court and manage to, oh, yeah. Yeah. you know, a- avoid accountability, essentially, for 
having launched this opioid epidemic. And I, I don't think we've seen the likes of this. There was an opioid epidemic in the 19th century. We saw the crack and the heroin epidemics, which were absolutely horrific. But this, you know, nearly 500,000 Americans have died. Um, and the, the people who started it, who sparked that fire, have not been held accountable. Did, did you interview him as part of the book? I didn't. I was the prosecutor on the oh, case, so okay. I was never allowed to speak to that him. And, you know, sadly, he so he was sentenced to serve 10 to 20 years in prison. We learned about two months ago that he had died of COVID in 2020. Hmm. Oh. Karma, baby. Yeah, right. Maybe karma caught up to him. It just, did, the did, whole thing is so sad. Did he ever provide any kind of justification for it? Um I, I know I've seen some of the doctors, and I, I do personal injury work in Minnesota, so I've seen some doctors that justify it based upon people's pain, based upon their beliefs about you know, what they can do to affect it. So they give an argument medically that they're doing stuff that other people won't because they're afraid to do it. Did he ever try that, or was it always just came down to pretty much was greed on his part? He absolutely tried that. I think the jury ended up giving more credit to the evidence of the financial motive. But sure. uh, you're absolutely right. You know, he, he did testify at trial. He did not, obviously, he had the right to remain silent. He chose to take the stand. And that's exactly what he said, that he trusted the patients. The patients lied to him. Mm-hmm. And he was just trying to help their pain. But that's a very, very difficult yeah. justification to set forward when you have medical folders, again, full of these desperate notes from family members from patients uh, when, you know, we know, I'm thinking of one patient in particular, a young woman whose father had committed suicide in front of her when she was four. She went in to see Dr. Oh, Lee in the first time. She told him about her life story. She told him that she wanted to use the pills to harm herself, and he still prescribed to her. Wow. So, you know, there, mm. there was just a level of depraved indifference, which was another one of the crimes that he was charged with, that... Uh, overcame any justification that he could give. Did any patients testify on his behalf? No. Okay. He called he called an expert medical witness. Interestingly, that physician had been on the payroll of a, of a number of pharmaceutical companies yeah. and had been the president of a nonprofit society that was funded by Big Pharma as well. Um, you know, and he... Uh, Obviously, the jury didn't credit his testimony either. Yeah. You know what's so amazing about this is you look at it, so he's, he's uh, buying. So the doctors buy the pills from the pharmaceutical company, or are they just kind of a gateway to get from the pharmaceutical company through the doctor to the patient so the money goes from... I mean, does the doctor actually have to purchase the pills, or is he given the pills to then... Uh, prescribed to other people, and that's the way the pharmaceutical company makes their money back. How does that work? So I'm, I, I'm sure you've heard the term pill mill, and that term comes from uh, states where physicians are allowed to actually hand patients the pills. New York is not one of those states. Right. What Dr. Lee was doing was he was actually selling the prescription itself. So he was okay. writing out that okay. paper, and he was getting cash for that, and he was seeing patients just long enough to hear what they wanted, write out the prescription, and then pocket the money in his white lab coat. So he actually never touched any of the pills, and that was a big challenge for us as the prosecutors because oh, we sure. had to prove 
we had to prove that he was responsible um, for the homicides we charged him with, even though he'd never set his hands on the prescription bottle. Hmm. Yeah, that's exactly why I asked you that question, because in in some states you don't handle the, the pills. That must have been a very, very difficult job. But the other side of that, you said he, he made about a half a million dollars in a couple of years, right? Right. Just yeah, so basically... Years. Yeah, so the fact that he didn't have to pay taxes on the other, that he basically made about a million dollars because he didn't pay his income tax, I'm sure, on that cash. No way. Oh, well, that we, you know, that wasn't something that the judge authorized us to get into during the trial, but mm-hmm. I suspect that you're right about that. And, um, you know, the, I think the other shocking statistic is that in those two and a half years, he wrote over 21,800 controlled substance oh, prescriptions. God. Now, that is more controlled substance prescriptions than some physicians will write in their entire career. And most of those were for oxycodone paired with Xanax, which doctors will tell you is a very, very risky combination. Yeah, I can see that. Oxycodone and Xanax. uh, You might go to sleep and never wake up with that that mix right there. Um, Exactly. So you sat face-to-face with this Dr. Lee, Correct. For 18 weeks of trial. That's right. God, 18 huh. weeks. Ooh. Man. <laughs> That's out there. So what did that feel like being around a creep like that? I suppose it's part of your job, though, huh? It is. And, you know, we were really focused on getting our case together. We called 70 witnesses. Many of those witnesses were people who were still piecing their lives together, who were either still suffering from substance use disorder, recovering from it, who had lost loved ones, you know, um, uh, a mother who had lost her 21-year-old son, a sister who had oh, lost her God. brother. So we were very, very focused on getting people um, into the courtroom, on the stand, making sure that they were ready for what was coming in terms of cross-examination, that they knew you know, their job up there was just to tell the truth. And it was so stressful, I have to say, that... Um, you know, I, I always had that question in my mind of how could he do it? But in the end, right. you start thinking about it as not, you're not judging the person, you're judging their conduct, you're judging their, you know, their actions, and it made it more bearable, what, I have to say. Um, what, what it was, was very he, hard to listen to the testimony of those who had suffered. Yeah. What was he actually charged, what were the charges that, that you had, or what was, what was he, and what would the jury actually find him guilty of? So the grand jury charged him with 211 counts, Jesus. ranging from Ooh. two counts of homicide, manslaughter in the second degree, three counts of reckless endangerment, depraved indifference. Those were the most serious charges. And then there were an assortment of other charges ranging from reckless endangerment, illegal sales of prescriptions for controlled substances, and charges relating to the insurance fraud that he was committing. So grand larceny and others. The jury convicted him on 198 of those counts. Wow. Um, they deliberated for a week. They looked at every single piece of evidence again, and I thought they made a very, you know, reasoned decision about where he, where the, you know, where the proof was the strongest. And they did convict on the homicide count. That is magnificent that they got that done. Uh, Charlotte, do you have uh, a couple more minutes? I need to take about a two-minute break. Do you have, do you have ten, ten more Absolutely. minutes? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Marvelous. We want to hear a lot more about this. A great story. Charlotte Bismuth, ladies and gentlemen. Bad Medicine, Catching New York's Deadliest Pill Pusher. It's on, the book is on Amazon, as a matter of fact, and everywhere, but uh, certainly on Amazon. We'll be right back. More with Charlotte right after this. Tom here for Shift Real Estate. Last year, about this time when we were making plans for Key West, I met the folks from Shift Real Estate. And when I heard the Shift story, it made sense to me. It made sense to my kids, and it makes sense to pretty much everybody that's heard about them. Shift Real Estate saves home sellers thousands of dollars on real estate fees. How do they do it? Shift lists for a flat fee of $5,000. You work with a full-time salaried agent. They take professional photos and videos of your home, list it on the MLS, and market your home online, all for a $5,000 flat fee. Call Shift Real Estate and tell them about your home. Tell them that you heard me talking about it, and they will tell you how you can save $10,000 or more when you list with Shift. It's the common sense way to sell your home. Visit Shift2Sell.com. That's Shift, the number two, Sell.com. Because life is expensive enough. What's more important than reliable plumbing? Having someone you can rely on in case it ever needs attention. Hi, Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Look, you don't want to mess around with leaks or shoddy installation or repair when it comes to plumbing. Sabre is the largest installer of Moen fixtures and Ream water heaters in Minnesota. They're dependable pros who get the job done right. So when plumbing happens, call Sabre or visit saberheating.com. Northern Metal Fab right off the interstate in Baldwin, Wisconsin is a custom job shop specializing in large-scale projects. Northern Metal Fab is now hiring for all positions, including welders, painters, and inspectors to provide quality craftsmanship to their customers. Northern Metal Fab is growing, and their growth is your opportunity. Northern Metal Fab offers competitive pay, excellent benefits, and more. Apply online today at nmfinc.com. That's nmfinc.com. Northern Metal Fab is an equal opportunity employer. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Bad Medicine, Catching New York's Deadliest Pill Pusher. It's on Amazon and available everywhere. As a matter of fact, Charlotte Bismuth with us. Charlotte, is it? do you use that name or is that your real last name? That is my real last name. Do you know what it means? Uh, well, I know that it's the name of an element from the Table of the Elements, but um, yeah. otherwise, that's as far as it goes. Do you know what it's what's it what it's in? Bismuth, you know what it is. You know what bismuth? Uh, what what what, what well, bismuth I know, is I know uh, it's an ingredient? Yep. Yeah, very good, Charlotte. How would <laughs> well, how, how would she how not know that? School, <laughs> yeah, people have been teasing me about that all through middle school, so it's yes. burned into my brain. Yeah. But I, I love the fact that Pepto-Bismol beat uh, oxycodone. That's phenomenal. That's a great story right there. <laughs> I think it's a great a story, angle. as a matter of fact. It is a great angle. How is it tough, Charlotte, to sit through 18 weeks around a guy, a doctor who knew he was killing people? Is that hard? Yes, it is hard. It's yeah, hard when you don't know if you're going to be able to hold them accountable, and it's you know, it's not even a question of the conviction. Um, it's a question of getting the evidence out there and getting it out the right way in a way that the jury can understand it. Um, and again, you know, we were just, we were so concerned for our witnesses. I mean, to ask a mom 
um, one mom, Margaret Raffold, who had lost her son at the age of 21, he died alone in his oh. car, to ask her to oh. take the stand in front of Dr. Lee and his defense attorney to tell her story of the most painful days of her life to a courtroom full of strangers, you know, with the defense attorney about to cross-examine her. And she she was so brave. She, uh, she powered through it. She told the truth. She was as helpful to the defense attorney as she was to us. Um, and she was one of many family members who stood up. And, and I have to say, nothing I could have experienced would have been as difficult as that. That really yeah. put, you know, my situation in perspective. God, people, the, the human brain once in a while, you look at it and you, you go, there's no way a doctor went through all of that to help people and to make people feel better. He does the exact opposite. Just because there's some tax-free cash involved, he's killing people off. I suppose, though, he doesn't blame that on himself, does he? Stanley probably thinks, well, I gave you the pills, but you're the one who took them all. That's, That's exactly probably what, what he, he thinks. That's exactly what he said at trial. That's exactly oh, God, what, what he a said. Shock. And what a you know, shock. and that's what the the owners of Purdue Pharma, members of the Sackler family, oh. that is what they said for decades. They said it's a good drug and it's being abused by bad people. That was their line, and Dr. Lee adopted that line at trial. But that came right from the top of Big Pharma. Well, was it was that a, an issue for some jurors on that? You've got something that's legal. You know, it's it, you're not dealing with you know heroin dealers. Where heroin's, you know, well, <laughs> illegal in most places. Now you are. <laughs> you know, but it was, <laughs> yeah. did, was that a struggle or was that a voidir issue that you guys dealt with um, on the question of, you know, it, it in and of itself, it's a legal, dr- uh, it's a legal drug that is prescribed, you know, um, versus, you know, other drugs. Absolutely, that was a huge issue, and we we did talk about it in jury selection. Uh, jurors had a questionnaire. Now it was, you know, as you know, as an attorney, these things are highly negotiated. And between the uh, defense attorney and the prosecutor, um, especially because the last thing we wanted was a mistrial, we were very, very cautious about jury selection. Um, but we did try, you know, and I think we succeeded in picking a jury that promised to consider the evidence, no matter what their own opinions might be. And they did. Um the fact is that, uh, you know, the, the issue under New York state law was whether the doctor prescribed those medications in good faith and for a medical basis. And we went so far beyond that in our proof because we showed the jury the, the list of patients that had come in every day. They could see that hmm. Dr. Lee had sold prescriptions to 70, 80, 90 patients a day. I mean, how much attention can you pay you know, Nick Rappold, who died at age 21, on one of those days, I think he was the 60th or 61st patient. How much attention can you pay to your 61st patient right. of the day yep. Did, when all you're doing is pocketing that money? So they, they, they were able to see that it wasn't just about a legal drug. It was about an illegal transaction. Were there common p- pharmacies that they were people were going to to fill these? There were. And... Some of those pharmacies were more, let's say, uh, careful than others in calling Dr. Lee, making sure that he knew what he was prescribing, because some of the pharmacists testified at trial and said, you know, when I see OxyContin and Xanax together, I'm very concerned about that patient. Uh, But ultimately, the doctor has discretion to prescribe, and, 
you know, the, the pharmacies or small businesses, and as long as the physician confirmed that it was a legal prescription, they went forward. Mm-hmm. God, what a story this is. And I, Charlotte, is there anywhere to guess, is there any way to guess how many doctors in, across the United, around the world, but across the United States, Certainly. Uh, is there any way to guess how many doctors are in, involved in some scummy thing like this? There, There is. Well, I can tell you, in New York State, Dr. Lee was the first physician to be charged and convicted of homicide. But that's just because mm-hmm. the way the law is written in New York, where you have to be able to prove manslaughter charges, and that's a pretty high bar. At the federal yeah. level, what they do is that they can charge physicians with drug trafficking, and then if there are deaths, associated with the practice, that's a sentencing bump. So it adds 20 years to the sentence. There's actually a list online on the DEA website of all the physicians who have been investigated by the DEA. Most of those are under that federal law, and there are a lot of them. And, you know, you could think of it as encouraging on one level that they've been investigated and caught, but I see that list, and I see a list of people who have betrayed the trust of Americans and betrayed the, the trust of family. They were supposed to do no harm, and they went after the money instead. That's exactly it. How many years were you a, a prosecutor, Charlotte? Seven years. Is that, is that got to be very... Like Michael Bryant, the guy you were talking to, he's an attorney here. He doesn't do anything. He just sits around. <laughs> and then you are, you know, <laughs> you're out there having to prosecute people. <laughs> that was a, well, yeah, he's know, a good friend. Colleague- I can say that, Charlotte. Uh, my colleague, Peter Kugazin, who came on to take the case to trial, because I'd never tried a homicide. I was a relative wow. rookie in the oh. office. You went from um, zero to 60 I, real fast there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he, um, he had been uh, an ADA for decades. He tried countless homicides, and still he said that this was the most upsetting case he'd ever worked on. Yeah. I could certainly see that, uh, no doubt about it. I grew up in a very poor neighborhood, Charlotte, and watching people, you can still drive through my old neighborhood. As a matter of fact, our entertainment reporter who lives in New York, he said, he was in town, he goes, I want to go through the north side. I want to go through your old neighborhood, just see where you grew up. I said, I don't know if you want to go through there or not. He goes, no, no, I do. But I, I was driving a convertible. I had the top down. Not that I know anybody in the neighborhood anymore, but, you know, they... Uh, you know, I will tell you this. People in poor neighborhoods can tell where I grew up, but other people can't. It's really interesting that they have that, that sixth sense or whatever it is. But we're driving by, and there's drug deal after drug deal after drug deal. He goes, Tom, you're right. We should get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's but the drug deal, Charlotte. The drug deal's everywhere. Where do all these drugs come from? Uh, apparently, they just busted somebody with a bunch of what OxyContin or something. It was, it was like a billion dollars worth or something like that. It was amazing. I know fentanyl comes from China. Fentanyl comes from China. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah, that's a big problem. Well, my you know, so the what office we... I worked for is the office of the special narcotic prosecutor, and they specialize in going up the ladder um, to the high-level traffickers. Uh, and that you know the the fentanyl is devastating now because um, it can be laced into anything. It can be packed into any shape. I, I don't yeah. know if you remember that um, the young man. Uh, he's the son of a talk show host a couple weeks ago who ordered a Xanax off the internet. 
and it turned out to be fentanyl pressed into the shape Ooh, of the Xanax. So wow. there's, Ooh. you know, but the fact is that even though fentanyl is really driving the overdose deaths right now, there are still deaths from prescription drugs. There are still deaths from heroin right. and just the amount of suffering that is associated with that of the people who are addicted, which is incredibly, you know, from what I hear, withdrawal is just such a painful condition. The families who struggle to know what they can do, um, you know, waiting for that phone call, the loss, it's just, I, I don't understand how our nation is not in a state of deep mourning, given everything right. that we've lost, everyone it, that we've lost. Is there a system of like checks and balances put in place to stop doctors from over prescribing a way of you know suspending a license if there's their flag to look to be doing something suspicious or not really there there is it really depends on the state um i don't know if you've seen the netflix show the pharmacist yep. but uh dan schneider in louisiana was able to get the state board in his state to respond to a very corrupt doctor in our state unfortunately what happened with dr lee was that nobody else was doing anything and it came to the point where we realized we had a public health emergency on our hands, especially after the murders in the pharmacy. And, you know, it's unusual for a prosecutor's office to jump in and, and handle those cases. There should be a system of checks and balances. The physicians should hold each other to that high standard. But, you know, it's a system based on trust, and they abuse it. Well, we also allow, I mean, there's advertising, there's there's so much that we allow. Um, some of it has led to a backlash that's severe. Like in Minnesota, we've seen, you know, complete cutoff where they've cut people completely off that, that they're not in a position for withdrawal reasons to be cut off the way they have. And so it's... It, I don't know. We, we allow a certain amount of advertising, a certain amount of work by pharmaceutical companies that if we're going to truly face the problem, they're really the ones we should be going after beyond just the you know bad doctors that are getting money off it because there's people making billions off it. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I hold the pharmaceutical companies responsible. Um, and in terms of the doctors, you know, again, the tragedy is the patients who cannot get help for their pain. Yeah. And those who are being treated as though they are, you know, committing an illegal act by by asking for help with their pain. Um, the problem is that many doctors have not been trained in how to taper patients off opioids when they start them, or they haven't been trained in how to treat uh, substance use disorder, opioid use disorder. So, expanding that training, expanding the access to the medication that can help people get off these highly addictive drugs is so crucial. It would save so many lives. Um, but you're, you're absolutely right. I hold the pharmaceutical companies responsible because they push yep. the lies that are still being disseminated, that if you get addicted, it's because you're a bad person. Yep. If you get hurt, it's because you did something <laughs> wrong. Well, did, did, they tr did the defense try to introduce on any of the people that died that they were, uh, I don't know, I, probably the easiest way to describe it were bad people, that, you know, they were drug addicts already or that they, you know, were liars. Did, did, did they attempt any of that at trial? We did that. We brought that up. We made it part of our case where when we presented a witness who had a history of illegal drug use, who had lied to Dr. Lee in order to get prescriptions or to get more, 
they were very upfront with the jury about it. Okay. About it, we had instructed them to be truthful because we knew that, you know, uh, we knew that the key to Dr. Lee's guilt wasn't that. Uh, they had lied to him. It was that he knew they were lying, sure. and that the way the way we proved that was um, he actually had access to a database that could show him that some of his patients were seeing other doctors. And guess what he did with that information? He charged them extra. So when oh, he knew that they were seeing more than one doctor and getting <laughs> prescriptions from others, he charged oh, an extra fifty dollars. Wow! So the jury, you know, Not the jury, shock. the jury took. Uh, took that really to heart, hearing these people come up and be very, very honest about their, you know, the baggage that they came with, and then seeing what Dr. Lee did with that information. Hmm. We only have one minute left. I think, Charlotte, your dog has a question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think that question is for my son, who asked for a dog and is doing a great job of taking care of it. <laughs> there you go. What kind of dog is it? He's a uh, spaniel mix. Oh, very cute. So very well a, taken care of, by the way. Got a wild one because we have a spaniel and he's a maniac. He is a maniac. <laughs> he loves to chase the leaves down the street. Charlotte, you are a terrific guest. I appreciate your time today. I learned a lot. And one of the things I learned Thank is there are not a lot of good people left in the world, <laughs> unfortunately. It's our I, great I pleasure. Think Charlotte, I think there are more than you well, think. I think there are more than you think. I really believe in it. Um, and I thank you you're very a much good for person. having me. Thank you, Charlotte. Ladies and gentlemen, Bad Medicine Catching New York's Deadliest Pill Pusher, Amazon, available on Amazon and everywhere else. Charlotte Bismuth, B-I-S-M-U-T-H, the main ingredient in Pepto-Bismol, as Andy pointed out, <laughs> which I thought was terrific. Mm-hmm. Oh. And she just said, well, it's, I think it's in Pepto-Bismol. So yep. Pepto-Bismol kicks off oxycodone's ass. I love that. That's a great headline. We shall take a break and be right back with Hour 2. A lot of stuff coming up in Hour 2. We're going to have a, a deserted soul back home finally, a deserted soul in Texas for a week, oh, freezing yeah. her ass off. Yeah. And also, of course, Kostaki Economopolis. We got Michael Bryant. We got Tevlar. Ooh, what I, more do you got ask Alex. for? I'm, I'm actually here. leaving I, Alex. Yeah. Oh, I heard Alex her, showed up. I heard her sniffing. I'm like, she's there. I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Sniff, Alex sniff. Up and I'm leaving. Oh, you're leaving? Yeah, I got to go to work and pay bills. Oh, wow. You got a job. (laughs) (laughs) Surprises for a black man in America today. Oh, 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 Tevlar. You got him. I love it. All right, well, you're coming back next Monday, I hope. Well, not Uh, next Monday, but two weeks. Yeah, next week we're dark. Oh, you're dark next week. Okay. Yeah, next week we are not. The whole week. Yep. I thought Monday yeah, we were going to do a show. Di- huh. I, I mean, come and do my own show. You guys can do a show. Tom is taking a week off. Yeah, he needs it. Yep. Oh. We'll be right back with our two. <laughs> 